Well, thank you again to all of those who have helped to put this service together for um, for our Advent lighters, for Holly and Haley Cleaver, uh, for Sally Ritterbush, who offered our special music today, uh, for Gary Brubaker and our Faith United Methodist Church praise team, who does a wonderful job with our music, um, for Melody, who continues to offer our children's uh, children's message and also our children's programming. Gosh, thank you so much for all of the ways that you have helped to, to make this worship service um, be a time of worship and, and a message of hope and grace. Now, we are continuing uh, in our Advent series, Advent being the four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's the season of waiting and preparing. And we're talking about the Messiah. What shall we call the Messiah? Because even Jesus has many names and titles that we know him throughout the New Testament. And the Messiah, who is Jesus, has many titles that's known as well. And so we're looking at the book of Isaiah for the traits and titles for the coming Messiah. And then talking about how we're preparing for Jesus, for the Messiah, and how Jesus has changed the world and is still changing the world today. We are talking about the wonderful counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this morning, Mighty God. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, um... This Messiah has many names. And in the book of Isaiah, we're introduced to the Messiah through many names. At the time, uh, the people who were waiting for the Messiah, they weren't picturing Jesus. Um, we know the story from the New Testament, and we know that Jesus is the Messiah. But they're waiting for a Messiah. And so this Messiah is known by many names. In particular, this morning, Mighty God. And Mighty God is a name for the Messiah um, that's showing the divine nature, God, of course, and also, and also a royal nature. So this Messiah is like a king, but not like any king that you've actually ever known. Um, it's a, he's, a, he's a good king. And, and as much as there's been kings throughout Israel's history, um, and as close maybe as David came to being the best king, there really hasn't been a good king because ultimately God is the one who is on the throne. God is the divine, the holy, uh, the royal divine. But uh, this Messiah, whom they're waiting for, is, 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 is like a king, um, but a king that actually cares for the people and cares for the economic justice of their people. So this isn't a king for the, just for the wealthy, but for those especially impoverished, for those who have been exploited and oppressed. They're, they're bold and they're brave. They practice a courage that hasn't been seen by any of their leadership before, and especially not in defending the poor and the needy. And this, this mighty God, this royal person, this Messiah, it's also a peaceful power. Most kings rule through violence. But this Messiah, 
This mighty God doesn't use violence. They would have known a king who comes in and says, you will worship me. And if you don't, well, but that's not what this mighty God, what this Messiah does. This Messiah truly rules through peace, shalom. This mighty God, this Messiah comes to save. And I think that there's a question in there of, um, is this, does this Messiah come to save us from something or for something? And the answer is yes. The end. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the, no, the answer is yes. Um, but what does it mean to be saved? In most, in most churches, in most mainline churches, we don't always use that language about being saved. Sometimes we do, but it's mostly known in um, a lot of evangelical cultures of Christianity. And oftentimes when that question is asked, are you saved or do you know that you're saved? Um, it's often about asking Jesus into your heart or when was it that you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Um, maybe it was when you made an intentional decision to follow Jesus. Uh, sometimes it's, it's called being born again. And ultimately, salvation is God's action. It's not something that we can do for ourselves, but it's something that God does for us. It's God's action of redeeming all of creation and making all things new. God making things whole or complete. So it's both what we're saved from and what we're saved for. Now, a lot of the times when we talk about what we're saved from, um, there's this focus on, on afterlife, going to hell or sin. And that's not the total focus because it's also what we're saved for, to do good to do no harm, to stay in love with God, to join God in the work of creation, to join God in making the world a better place here and now and for the future. So we're both saved from and for. And look, we can't talk about salvation without talking about sin. And I know that's everyone's favorite topic. We always love to talk about other people's sins. Do you love to talk about your own? Because I don't. It's uncomfortable. I mean, first, what is it? Sin is the way that we distance ourselves from God and from those whom God loves. Now, God's will for us is to live in shalom, to live in peace. And anything that disrupts that peace, that disrupts that shalom, is called sin. Sin can be done in a variety of ways. And, you know, truth be told, we're constantly finding new ways of doing that too. Sometimes out of a willful disobedience. Sometimes out of our own brokenness and hurt. And sometimes out of our own fear. We can come up with a great list of what sin is. You know, if you want to just start typing some of those in the comments below... Just kidding, don't do that. 
um, we can come up with great lists of what sin is. So ultimately, without being too descriptive or typing those in the comments below, what sin is, is anything that hurts God, ourselves, or others. I mean, that's pretty big. Sometimes we sin quite intentionally, and sometimes we do it without even realizing it. Jesus, as he was being crucified, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We need a mighty God. Walter Brueggemann describes it as a world in which the divine power of healing, forgiveness, restoration, and well-being is on the loose. That's what it's like with the Messiah, this mighty God, Emmanuel, God with us. Forgiveness, restoration, and well-being is on the loose. And we have this song from Mary. The song of Mary is a song that, that we tell every year. The Magnificat. The song Mary sings after finding out she's been chosen to carry the Messiah. Ultimately, whose name will be Jesus. And the song that she sings is powerful. So let's talk about Mary. Just a little bit of context of who she is first. Um, Mary is probably a teenager, maybe between the ages of 11 to 15, which was about the normal time that, that girls or women would become married at that time. And she's probably from a very poor area, probably not a respectable area. You know, the other side of the tracks, whatever that means. And she's engaged to a carpenter named Joseph. And then an angel comes and tells her that she's found favor with God and is pregnant with God's child. Okay, that would be overwhelming for anyone to hear. I mean, her, her cousin Elizabeth got a, well, her cousin Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, got a same message that Elizabeth was pregnant. Angel came and told Zechariah, and he was struck silent until the baby was born. So anybody hearing this sort of a message is probably a little dumbfounded, a little overwhelmed, to say the least. And um, this act of being pregnant before she's married is, is an act that's punishable by death. Now, her engagement was legally binding. They were just waiting for some sort of a ceremony. And she's pregnant and Joseph is, is clear that he's not the father of this child, along with Mary saying, this is what the angel told me. And so Mary is facing death should Joseph cast her out. Knowing this, Mary agrees to carry the baby. I have thought and thought and thought about ways to describe Mary. And there are so many words. Mary is the, is the kind of person that when she gets out of bed, the devil quakes. She is fierce. This is not... I think a lot of times we tend to paint this picture of Mary 
um, that maybe we see in our nativity scenes of holding the baby in this pristine, like um, innocent and, and, and beautiful girl or woman. And that's true. And she is fierce. Like she is, oh, to have an ounce of her courage and her faith Mary's got it going. And she carries this baby, this Messiah. And after she agrees to do this, she sings this song, what we call the Magnificat. It's a song of gratitude. And it's very common of Hebrew poetry. It's talking about who God is, this mighty God, mighty and powerful and holy. This is who God is. And it also mentions her own humility, how she feels, and especially in comparison to God. The verb tenses throughout this song move from past to present to future, which is a lot of who God is in the past and the present and the future. What God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. The lowly are lifted up. Those who are the most unexpected and least favored are the ones who seem to be the most favored in God's eyes. This song, this song is fierce. It's a strongly political song. Now, much of the gospel is political, which is not to say that it's partisan. The gospel is not Republican. The gospel is not Democrat. And it is political. And this song of Mary is a political statement. The lowly are lifted up and the rich are sent away empty. This promise of this coming Messiah, those that have been oppressed and cast aside will be given a spot in the kingdom of God. God has not forgotten or ignored the cries of God's people. God has responded by sending the Messiah, the one who will save the people, the one that they have been waiting for. Oh, Mary sings this song and she accepts this task, this incredible risk through leaps of faith. Mary faced death, rejection and alienation and even suffering when she says, let it be with me according to your will. What would it look like if, what would the world look like if we all had the faith of Mary What would it look like if we put aside our own comforts, our own lives to follow God? Let it be with me according to your will. My first district superintendent was Larry Hilkeman. And um, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. And um, I I often think a lot about his influence. And... um, One of the things that Larry used to do uh, is that he would pop in unannounced to church, um, which I've got to be really honest, when uh, your DS pops in, when your supervisor pops in unannounced when you're not expecting, uh, makes you a little nervous. So one Sunday he came in, popped in unannounced and joined us for worship. And it was a baptism remembrance Sunday. And so we remembered our baptism and, and he came through the line um, and I put the mark of the cross on his forehead with the water. We remembered our baptism and uh, at the end of it, everyone was finished and I realized 
I hadn't remembered mine. And so I sort of, it was sort of this awkward moment, like, oh my gosh, who am I going to ask? And what am I going to do as things are sort of, just sort of setting in and I'm realizing what's happening. And then all of a sudden, one of the children from the congregation came up and she asked me if she could help me remember. It was an incredibly powerful moment, both for me and for the congregation. And after the service, Larry and I were talking and he said, I I have to be honest, I wasn't sure what to do. I thought, Larry, DS, get up there and help Melissa remember her baptism. This is your job. And he said, and then this little one moved her feet first. And I just got out of the way. Sometimes letting it go means getting out of the way for God to do something amazing putting aside our own egos and our own desires, putting aside our own vanity and selfishness, putting aside our fears and our doubts. And I found that hard this time. There are times that I feel afraid and then I remember faith. There are times that I have questions and and I don't think God is offended by my questions. There are times that I wonder. I wonder in the middle of this pandemic, when is it going to be over? When are things going to feel real again? I um I had seen a post from Glennon Doyle, who's a Christian author and speaker. And one of the things that she said in there as she was talking about um, a friend of hers who was grieving a loss in the middle of a pandemic, that's hard as the world around us is different and changing. And one of the things that she said has stuck with me. She said, when this is over, Our children will be different. They've seen the worst of us. They now know that we don't know. That we don't know how to save them. They know that we do know sometimes, but we don't do it. When this is over, we'll all be different. And I have thought about that over and over again, and it has convicted me and and pierced my heart. How are we treating one another during this pandemic? I know a friend said that her kid's principal sent out an email to all of the parents at the school asking the parents to stop yelling and um, calling the school nurses names when they called to say that their child was sick. The fact that that had to be sent breaks my heart. I was at the grocery store in probably March or April, and I saw a a man arguing with a teenage grocery store employee when this employee told him to put his mask on. And this man insulted this teenage boy and both insulted his intelligence and his appearance. My heart broke. 
We've seen name calling of people who hold different political opinions. For those who refuse to follow restrictions or advice because they don't want to. We've seen a great list of things that we need to be saved from. And quite honestly, I think a lot of times it's needing to be saved from our own selves. And in the middle of that, it'd be easy to blame God. Why is God doing this? Where is God? And I wonder if we ask that question, if God would say, where have you been? And yet, there are also stories of heroism and sacrifice. People going above and beyond, making meals, delivering groceries, teaching people how to use technology, donating to food, food to food pantries, to, to homeless shelters. We know what we're saved from. This is what we're saved for. For one another. There's a sort of passive waiting that happens, and this is the season of waiting, right? Where you wait for something to happen. But that's not this kind of waiting during Advent. We actively wait with hope. When we cry, mighty God, save us. Jesus says, do not be afraid, I am with you. Mary said, let it be with me. How will we testify to the light that is love, that is the word, that is Jesus? How will we build the hope that we wait for? How will we join Jesus in the work of redeeming the world? How will we make this world a better place here and now for the future? How will we let it be with us? Hope is an act of resistance. It says to hopelessness, you don't get to win. Love is an act of resistance. It says to hatred, you don't win. Joy is an act of resistance. It says to, it says to despair, you don't win. Advent is a season of resistance. And to be honest, the church is full of these seasons of resistance because we keep testifying to the light. We keep telling stories of hope and love and peace and joy, and we keep offering acts of hope and love and peace and joy. This is what we do. This is who we are. What hopeful acts of resistance can you offer this season? What are you saved for? Maybe for you, it's, it's engaging politically, running for office, calling elected officials, telling them what you believe, engaging in protests, helping to shape policy. Maybe you want to change the world by supporting women who have been abused or neglected or assaulted, listening to their stories, believing their pain, offering safety and comfort, volunteering at a women's shelter. Maybe you want to engage the world by reading 
and reading to children or helping to tutor or offering support and help to parents who are doing remote learning or teaching children how to cook or create, offering support to teachers and administrations. There are endless ways to resist hopelessness and hatred and despair. Side by side with our wonderful counselor, our everlasting God, our everlasting Father, our mighty God, our Prince of Peace. This is what we're called to. So let it be with me. Let it be with us, according to God's will. Amen.